Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another powerful Imperfectly Perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. So today I'm delighted to welcome, it is a bit of a pattern emerging for me, not one but two guests again and today I'm delighted to speak again to uh, Benjamin Freud, so very warm welcome and obviously I've never spoken to you but a very very warm welcome Charlotte Hankin to this podcast. So before we start our conversation would you kindly both introduce yourselves and tell us a bit more about who you are and where you're based and and what you do shall we start with that sure okay well shall I go first then um first of all thank you so much Fabian for uh inviting me and Benjamin onto your uh podcast very honored and happy to be spending time with you today um, so I'm Charlotte, I am an educator and I've been in education now for 20 years. I started off in the UK, I'm, I'm British, that, that's where I was born and raised, um, and quickly went through the career ladder of UK state education. So I'm a primary specialist and I worked for um, 12 years very closely with the statutory assessments in year six. And that's an important part of my story because I was that teacher in year six who was prepping those 10 and 11 year olds for their SATs. And so when I started my career, I, I wasn't sure, you know, as a young teacher, what I, what I was doing was correct or right. I was guided by my senior leaders uh, for reassurance and for vision. And so that's what I did. I, I was reasonably effective and, and therefore was promoted. I was a uh, leader of the junior school. I was assistant head. I've been a consultant. And I became very disillusioned with education because of those experiences. Um, and mainly because I love working with kids. I think they're so clever. They're so creative, so funny. And I felt that what I was doing as their educator, as their leader, day in, day out, was actually diminishing their spirit because they were sitting statutory tests in reading, writing, maths and science and all of their cleverness and their 
uh, imagination was not evident on these tests. And there is something that started to deeply affect me about that. I didn't feel it was right. And I started to think, well, maybe education is just not for me. Maybe I've sort of lost my sparkle. And, and actually, I realized it was this experience of getting kids through a test. It was like a conveyor belt. And I just felt it was, um, I mean, I'm going to use the word abusive, but that's obviously very strong. But I just didn't feel it was right. It was not fair. It was not just for them. Um, at the same time, I was invited to help set up a bookstore in Hong Kong for what's known as gifted and talented students in reading. So literacy has always been my specialism and working with very able uh, readers and writers is really my comfort zone. So this came at a time where I was feeling intense disillusionment and I thought, let's go international. Maybe things will be different in Hong Kong. I'm still gonna be in education, but in retail. And I moved out to Hong Kong and what a fantastic experience that was really opened my eyes in so many ways but I realized I missed schools so I then went to work in a school which is where I met Benjamin in Hong Kong very progressive innovative school and I was responsible for provision mapping gifted and talented students throughout the school from there we moved to Saudi Arabia where we worked in a innovative and progressive school and from there, I've sort of done a big 360 degrees return to my roots. I'm now a homeroom teacher. And so what's fascinating about that journey for me is that I started as a teacher and I've gone through these leadership positions. I've come out of the classroom. I've held different hats. So I've seen the kind of the, the jigsaw puzzle in, in some ways from, from different lenses. And I'm now back in the classroom. And so it's a very different experience in some ways, but shockingly, it's also the same job as 20 years ago. And so again, I'm thinking, why have things not moved on more? One area that has really changed is the use of technology in the classroom. And I've really enjoyed upskilling myself and, and what kids can do with technology is phenomenal. Uh, they teach me all the time. So that's a massive change but they're still in a system where they're expected to be compliant. Um, you know, we, we use a lot of words in education, a lot of edu lingo, I like to call it, that's just kind of thrown around without shared understandings, without, um, without really thinking, do our actions match our use of these words day in, day out? And I'm not convinced they do. And so I've been on a quest Really, it's been a bit of self-discovery to think, how might I bring about some sort of social or an ecological change to what I feel is a broken system? And so I very much use myself as a case study, but also all these little guys that I've been fortunate to spend time with over the years. Um, and from those experiences, it's set off my thinking and my feelings in, in a million different ways, which I'm sure we can unpack in the rest of the podcast. Um, so the final thing I'll say about me and, and, and what I'm interested in is that really I I'm a, see myself as an education researcher now because I'm doing my PhD part-time. And so I'm really trying to use my practice as well as all the innovative research that I'm reading on evenings, mornings, weekends, to really try to offer something to the field of education, really 
um, hope to add to the literature out there because I, I feel that there is a lot of hope and there is a lot of optimism, but we get so entrenched in the busyness of everyday life and maybe we don't always come back to what we're doing and why. So that's probably giving you a bit of a background on myself. I'll pass over to Benjamin now. Wonderful and beautiful. What a journey that's sort of taking you to, yeah, just beautiful. So thank you for sharing so openly. I, I'm so happy that uh, Charlotte was already giving me such a great ground. Uh, so much of what she says resonates with me. So I feel that I can say me too on, on a lot of this, but maybe not me too in terms of the story that we have, in terms of what got us here. And it makes me think that uh, it's, it's so wonderful. I'm very lucky to, to have met Charlotte, who's really been one of the biggest um, influences on my thinking uh, through the conversations that we have, the exchanges. Um, I, I'm different from Charlotte in the sense that I traveled around a lot. Um, my mother worked for the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, she was a single mom. She was uh, an administrative assistant, but she was able to move around and, and took me with her. Um, I stayed in the States in, um, when I was 15, when we moved there, and I did my university and so forth and uh, graduate school. And um, uh, my story starts like by when I worked in San Francisco in the late 90s in consulting in high tech when we were building Web 1.0. Um, we were working with people who were changing the world. And what really marked me, I keep thinking about these scenes of coders with jackets on and little gloves working on tables because they couldn't afford chairs and they turned off the heat because they only had so much time to, to launch um, their, their, their website, um, which was back then B2C. Uh, that's how far, uh, how long ago it was. And, and they did it because they were they were passionate, they were interested, they were driven. Now, some of them wanted to cash on equity, of course, but a lot of them just wanted to make things happen. And they there was no rules. They just, let's just do it. Let's change the world. Let's change the way things are and imagination and ideas. And that got sadly corrupted. Um, um, and you know, eventually I went to consulting in, in other areas, FMCGs, media, financial services, went off, got a PhD, uh, and then I switched to education because I find kids to be way more interesting than, than most adults. And, and it just really brings me a lot of energy. Um, and I met Charlotte in Hong Kong uh, at a school that was uh, a 21st century um, school of the year finalist. And we've just been thinking about the different ways that learning happens, not just of course for children, but you know for, for everyone and, and, and really a lot of the social factors that are there. And I go back to this idea of people in San Francisco way back when it's still, and of course so many other parts of the world who were just, um, doing whatever they could to make things happen. And they weren't bound by anything except just what they were creating. And that's what really interests me. And so from there, we learn about, um, uh, well, I learned about what, what Charlotte and, and I talk about, about different ways of, of thinking about, about the world, breaking away from these standards, really liberating learning, liberating uh, ourselves from these structures, liberating kids and, and thinking, and I'll end on this, thinking that the structures that are in place feed into a system that, I'll speak for Charlotte, we, we believe, I believe, um, uh, really damages so many things beyond the planet and relations, but so many things. So we have to continuously question that. And that's what I think we're, we're trying to do. And, and that's where our nerdy conversations around the dinner table happen. Amazing. I love nerdy conversations. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all good. <laughs> And so much of your journey, Charlotte, I resonate with. So um, part of the reason I set up the podcast is because during COVID, 
I, um, when, when I was managing the French language provision for a big university, whilst also, so like you being a practitioner and in, in the classroom, um, but also watching my two boys uh, being homeschooled, so doing the schoolwork that um, school was giving us. Um, my youngest then was in year five and year six, so being prepped for that, the SATs. Uh, and my eldest has just moved to secondary school, um, so year seven, year eight. Um, and I really remember the, you know, I'm, I'm a huge reflect, I love reflection and, and thinking about what that the situation generates. And I remember one evening saying to my husband, my goodness, this, what I'm seeing with the boys is explaining what I'm seeing at university. And I need to understand because I think one of the things, so one of the questions I have for you in terms of your, your journey and your progress is for me, everything is so siloed in education, right? So primary school kept away from secondary school, from adult education, further education and university. It's all fragmented, fragmented and all kept separate. So, um, so that's the first comment, you know, that I wanted to sort of uh, point to two in our conversation. But the other thing is what you said also, Benjamin, in terms of the work and the, the creation of the uh, web 1.0, is it feels a little bit in our journey with education and the exploration, like those people who were trying to create something. So based on the fragmented and the creating something having those nerdy conversations around the dinner table between the two of you and other people how does that fit in with your work and your journey yeah great question Fabian um I I mean education is very complex uh, as you know and I feel that part of the problem is that we're obsessed with quantifying learning we're obsessed with putting a grade, a score out of 10, a percentage, putting kids into levels and watching their progress through this kind of linear um, progression tool, whatever that tool might be, might be through GCSE mark bands or maybe through the diploma program or looking at criterion A and D and MYP or anything. We, we've we are obsessed with providing evidence to show that learning is happening. Um, and I don't think that we're really going to be uh, joining up the, the silos, if you like, until we move away from obsessing over quantitative data. Um, and I, I once read Charles Deleuze, the French philosopher, who described quantitative data as violence to the mind. And I will never unlearn that because, again, when I think about those little guys back in the UK, I was really pushing them, probably stressing them out, probably making them worry, go home and worry about taking tests. I mean, just cringe. Um, and, and talking about their imagination and how much they, they could possibly contribute to the world, contribute to their communities, to their families, to their friendships. They have all of this like wonderful sense of spirit and essence, and it is just cut down out of them with this quantitative data. And so this violence to the mind, I, it really strikes a chord in my heart. And, and that's why I think 
things are so fragmented because we are obsessed with accountability. We're obsessed with providing evidence. We're obsessed with keeping parents happy and feeding into universities and um, setting targets and for our teachers and going into their classrooms and grading them. And I don't know, until we get rid of this accountability obsession, I think it will continue to be siloed. And so for Benjamin and I, just to take this broader and bigger and beyond education, this violence to our mind is what we feel is happening more widely in society. And largely, this is driven by the competitiveness between humans, competitive to get the best job, to have the biggest salary, to have the best bonus, to have the nicest car, to have the best house, for our kids to be going to the best school, this competition which comes from this quantitative way in which we feel it's acceptable to measure humans, their progress, their um, success in life. And so how do we move away from this competitive mindset? Um, and then to take that beyond the human, we're always talking about, well, what about the non-human world? Because when we look at the challenge that, the, the biggest challenge of our day, I feel, and Benjamin perhaps as well, is the inequalities in our world. And we have to take that into the inequalities that are so, amazingly magnified when we think about how we relate with members of other species. And that mindset, because we might feel as humans because of our anthropocentric attitudes and behaviors, which are probably quite unconscious in terms of how we go through our day by day, but there is a sense that it's okay for human beings to take, to use, to eat, to wear, to extract, to abuse, to violate the earth. And it is all interconnected with these issues that face our species, racism, sexism, homophobia, um, all of these kind of competitive, judgmental, divisive, separatist ways of thinking that actually could all trickle down into our education systems. And we as educators are empowering, engendering these mindsets through our use of quantitative data, sorting, categorizing, classifying, rating, judging children. And I think right from an early age, we are quantifying children and what they can contribute to the earth. And it is this mindset that then stays with us throughout our lives. And for some children, they might always have had poor grades or the education system has really diminished their spirit, their imagination, and then they never leave this mindset. And to me, that is so incredibly depressing. <laughs> And the fact that we see this in our education systems, we see it in our society, we see it with how we relate to other species and it is all interconnected. And so how do we stop this fragmentation? I think that we have to really focus on how we relate with others. And when I say the word others, I mean human and non-human networks. We really have to reconsider our place in this earth, why are we here? How do we treat others? How do we treat ourselves? Um, what do we want from our lives that's not necessarily measurable in quantitative terms? So I've just spoken a lot. Benjamin, would you like to no, add to I, that? I, 
I, I I love what you're saying about the quantitative and 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 Fabien, with all the work that you do on flourishing, we you know we 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 connect with that so much. This idea of finding inspiration in, in nature because we are of nature, but it's not just finding inspiration in it's it's seeing ourselves and and, and embracing ourselves as being of nature. And I walk down here. You know, we live in in uh, in rural uh, uh, Thailand in north of Chiang Mai, and I walk and I see all these beautiful trees that are of the same species. Um, I see all these beautiful trees, there are different species and not one of them looks the same. And no one would think about quantifying these trees. No one would think of, uh, uh, of taking measures unless you're a scientist and you're doing it for a scientific experiment. But the joy that we see when we walk there and the feeling that we get is not quantifiable. And so, you know, we talk a lot about these big things, you know, in, my, in, in what I write about, I write about quantum theory and the very literal that I understand about it and how we're all connected and how there's physical reasons why we're interconnected. And, and I think that could still be brought down if, if we think about it in a circle of just doing things with kindness to contribute to others. And again, taking what, what uh, Charlotte says, others being the non-human world as well. And thinking about our learning and our growth through our contributions to community. And that as well can be defined in many different ways. So that the learning is actually done for a purpose. It's not how, you know, how well you can write or what were use of punctuation and all that, all that stuff. It's what does your writing, what does your video making, what does your building, what does your creating, what does what do your efforts do to make the world a better place? But even more importantly, how do the stories of those in your community? tell or what do they tell about your learning so that the learning is not something that is assessed with a number it is those stories of the community and that could also be non-human of how your learning and growth and how your response to certain situations have contributed to the welfare of others now that would be powerful and lead to a better world much better than a, you know an A or a B in, in English that really absolutely means nothing. And that is only there for the adults. Documentation is an adult problem. It's not a child problem, but we've made it a child problem. And that is unethical as well. And so what I've heard in what you were, you were saying, and again, that's my sub, me bringing my subjectivity in this conversation. So please correct me if I've, if I've uh, misinterpreted what you said. But there's a sense, and I sensed it as a, now I call myself a reformed mum and teacher, because I really feel that this journey of the last eight years, I've been rewired. And, you know, I can't remember who said that, but you can't enter in the same river twice, right? Because every conversation changes you or changes the way you, you, you say things. So already you both said things that I've noted down that I feel have like shifted something in me. Um, but that required the... I'll, I'll be honest, the, the headspace and the willingness to not live being on the hamster wheel, because when you're a full-time working mom and then you come home and you've got two young kids, um, I didn't have the headspace to question. So I also used to call myself a product of the Franco-British education system. And so I wonder whether you could talk to that, to the one of the things that I keep sort of it's pointing to, but it is not often discussed, is the all the un underpinning in the culture that are so hidden deep, deep in the iceberg. So why is it that we are competitive and individualistic? Why is it that in the news, I never listened to the news, but I was in France with my parents and my, my dad loves the news. 
and you listen to the news and we talk about um, things like all the scarcity, the things that are missing in our lives. And that to me is as someone who studies flourishing and languishing or flourishing and survival makes me feel like it put me in survival. It's like, oh my God, the world is going to pot. And so therefore I need to focus on me, myself and I, right? And then you have to jolt out of that and go, no, this is ridiculous because I have enough and I have a roof and all of those things. But I wonder, yeah, I wonder how that resonates with your work in terms of like, how you address the deeper part of the cultural iceberg and all of the hidden that is not openly spoken about in education. And, and that's, a, that's a fantastic question. And I think there's, there's a couple of ways that, that we would look at it. The first one is that history is very long and, and nothing, uh, you know, uh, no, nothing, nothing stays and, and everything changes and, and things come and, and go. And, and, and so there will be change in our society. We can't go on like this. The planet's burning up. Something will change. These structures that are deeply embedded are embedded for reasons, reasons of keeping uh, those in power and power, the keeping the colonial mindsets in power because those who are benefiting from them enjoy it. So, so they are deeply ingrained. Uh, this whole idea of separation is 500 years old in, in, um, in uh, Western society. Uh, we have managed to go into other places and impose our ways of learning, thinking, and separating to other cultures. So, so that's going to take a lot of work. Um, so, so there's the big mega change that you know I wish I had the power to, to do, but I don't. Uh, and maybe I won't see it in my lifetime, but it's a long process. History is very long, even, even if uh, technology makes us think that it's, that it's, that it's quicker. Uh, on the day-to-day, -day, on a granular level, I'm the, I'm the whole school director of, of, of uh, learning and teaching. And I'm every day confronted with this tension between what has to be done and what I feel would make a better world. And, and, and it is, it is, it is um, I, think, I think Charlotte taught me this expression the other day, the tragic gap, because it is a gap. For me, this idea of where do we have space, I, I think that when we open up to the fact that everyone wants to be nurtured, Everyone wants to, to use your words to flourish or to thrive. Everyone wants the, this, 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 the safety. And I'm not talking in terms of Maslow, but I'm talking about as a community that, that we are still continuously put into this, this competitive and, and, uh, and, and mentality of scarcity. On a very day-to-day -day basis, teachers can, re can really think about their units and, and what are they doing in order to contribute. It could be very little. Sometimes a teacher getting out of bed is contributing. Sometimes a kid who's just kind of, you know, really upset and, and maybe um, somebody else comes up, it's victory. It could be very small. It doesn't have to be life-changing. And that's the shift. If we can start asking ourselves and have a value system of what do my responses to this particular circumstance that changes every instant, how does that contribute? That shift might hopefully be one of the steps to get us forward. And I mean, I would just add to that, that schools are funny places because they are norm producers for society. So quite often what is happening in a school will be a little bit of a trailblazer for the community and parents and community members will look at a school for guidance and they'll say, oh, wow, you know, this school is now taking this approach. They have these initiatives. Um, oh, they've got recycling bins or, um, oh, they're having extra PE lessons each week so that tells us that physical exercise is important oh the school now has a well-being coordinator that's interesting you know so all of the changes that a school will make will be noticed by the community and so that sets the norm 
how the community should relate. And that I find is really interesting. Like we have such a huge responsibility in schools to set the tone, to, um, to support community in, in bringing people together and accessing the latest research, um, sharing information, being open-minded and, and really trying to cultivate um, a love for learning and openness from our students. And so, yes, these, these scarcity, um, competitive attitudes that are deeply entrenched in society, we are engaging with them unknowingly. And that I think is what's scary. Um, for me in my work, I question the power relationships that are held between humans and the natural world. And so I question that from within the school system, again, with a view that the school is setting the norm, the norms for society. So if I look at the food that's served in the cafeteria, how much of that is, um, let's say, organic or how much of that is meat or how much of that has a huge carbon footprint? Let's have a look at when it's a child's birthday. What is the treat that's brought into school? It's usually cupcakes, chocolate, pizza. We've got dairy products there. So we're using animal products in our own celebration and indulgence. When I think about children's literature and I see the depiction of animals and other species, quite often we have pigs and cows and little sheep with smiley faces in a farm. Um, how accurate might that be? Are those animals happy to be in a farm, to be shackled and to be used for their, for their, their body parts? Um, let's take a look at school trips, going to see um, conservation projects or national parks or zoos. Let's really take a look at the fact that we're viewing the natural world from behind a cage or with a leash or um, we're photographing them. Um, so let's have a look at other things that we do. Oh, maybe animal parts are used in the science department and they are dissected. And maybe we have some uh, giddy uh, middle years students who are poking and prodding the animal parts and squealing and finding it funny. What does that tell us about the power relationships between humans and other species? And you could go on and on and on. And all of these behaviors we engage in without questioning every day. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone needs to be vegan and everyone needs to stop taking long haul airplane flights. That's not it at all. And we also know that moralizing to other people about their lifestyle cho choices will actually turn them off completely. Um, so for me, I feel that the shift that's needed is actually a new worldview. And I know that that is deeply cultural and it's personal. But if we continue to view ourselves as able to take and use and extract from others and the earth we continue to have the structures that actually diminish human potential so how do we unravel that i mean that's the kind of the multi-million whatever currency you've got question <laughs> um so for me repairing our relationships with others really needs to start with our relationships with the earth and other species because if we can really address that it will naturally impact how we treat members of our own species 
And so social injustices is connected to ecological injustice. If we look at impacts of climate change, they affect the most vulnerable people. When we look at the fact that there is drought in uh, the UK, I was reading, they're possibly going to announce that it's a drought. And we look at how people are suffering and we look at the support that's put in place. Now let's compare that to drought in Madagascar. And they're just forgotten. These people are just forgotten. And I read that they were living on insects and they have no support, nowhere to turn. It is absolutely tragic and criminal that these people aren't receiving more help. But my point is that climate change is really affecting the most vulnerable people in our world. And so the, the way that we treat our earth and the way that we treat members of our own species is interconnected. And really the way in which we might um, address these injustices is by simply having a new worldview where we see ourselves as part of nature. We respond with nature. We thrive with nature. We're flourishing with nature. If we see ourselves as separated, nature is out there behind the window, um, then we are feeding into unhealthy relations with others. And so, yes, your question is is timely and it's deeply troubling and it's something that we do need to work on together but it's about working with other species rather than um, continuing to reinforce anthropocentric attitudes and behaviors that we know are damaging so for me questioning questioning the power relationships every day that we hold with others is is one one mindset shift that might just make a difference Again, so what I've had, just amazing. So I was very close to Madagascar not so long ago because my sisters moved to Mayotte. And so I was really lucky to sort of, you know, be able, I contributed, I felt guilty because I contributed to the traveling miles, um, but really connecting, going to Mayotte and seeing what it's like definitely has, again, shifted something in, you know, on an individual basis and really made me want to be even more connected to that nature for sure. Um, and I saw the impact of that, you know, particularly because Mayotte is is French, and so you can really see the the, the discrepancies and the differences between those who have and those who haven't. Um, it's really in your face, and so that's that's really important questions to um, ponder on. But what I also heard you both talk about. And I wonder whether we could explore that is the delicate balance between the I think you know Benjamin what you were saying is that the individuals yes there's all these big issues of the the bigger inner cultural sort of things that we can shift but there's also the you know be the change you want to see in the world um so you know we can all do little things that will have an impact um and and with that the also other side of the individualization of what we can do is I see a lot in flourishing is that people talk about no but I need to flourish first before I can take care of the planet or other people so again how does that fit in with with your work and and you know what you're doing I think this would be a good opportunity to bring in uh, a framework that uh, Charlotte and I developed uh, in collaboration with uh, Luca Perry. Uh, so it's coconut thinking meets uh, the learning futures, and and it's been it's been a work in progress, and and it comes from 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 Charlotte, so it's it's Charlotte's brainchild. 
Um, so I, I'm not gonna take take that away for you introducing it, but I I, I do want to maybe help springboard that. And this idea of I need to work on me first before I can help others is completely understandable. It just you have to ask yourself, what does me mean? What do who am I? Who are we? Because again, this is separation. It's it's I my instinct is, oh, you can't do something until you know how to be an expert in it. Or maybe maybe that's a little bit simplistic, but but this idea of who are we, again, I go back to. The, the, the reality that we are interconnected physically. This is quantum physics. There is no such thing as separation. We are entangled from the smallest, smallest virtual particle that appears and disappears in Planck time and is only as big as a Planck length to the universe. We are interconnected. It's physical. And, and we have people like, like, you know, Niels Bohr and David Baum and, 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 and you know, uh, you know, all the all these magnificently uh, intelligent quantum physicists who who I try to understand, but but in very far, but but they, they, we are all interconnected. So so there is no separation. So I must help you in order to help me. And it is more than 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 just words. I mean, this goes deep into indigenous thinking, Ubuntu. This is deep into the, our relationships. If bees die, we all die. That's how interconnected we are. Trees out there help each other communicate. So we have to rethink of what the I is, what the we is, what the how we can be together. And so this is where I want to springboard to this to, to what we what the framework we called Wiser, which stands for wonder, intra-action, sustainability, and regeneration, because it is a framework that helps us reconsider how we are part of the natural world. But this is where I, I know Charlotte would, uh, since it's her brainchild, can, can certainly uh, um, uh, walk us through the story of Wiser. Okay, I, and I would also just very quickly like to go back to this sense of I, because at the very start of our podcast, Fabian, you said, introduce yourself, which is a very normal thing to do um, when you're exploring new people. But this is a question that I think about a lot. And this might sound... Um, far too philosophical or deep, but it is related to the way that we're thinking about the world, I feel, because who am I? And I, I could introduce myself in easily five different ways. Um, there are, there are the, the markers that we use, you know, I'm British and female, I'm an educator, but I could also say that I am a product of, I'm the result of um, every single experience I've had in my life and every single um ecological and human and other species relationship. They have all interrelated over time to produce Charlotte Hankin today. And so how do we possibly squeeze all of that out and look at who is Charlotte Hankin? Because I'm starting to think, well, does she actually exist as an individual? It goes back to those silos in schools, right? What are these subjects? Do they actually exist in silos? Um, and so I'm interested in this concept of relational becoming, that we as individual entities, we emerge as a result of relations with others. And so in many ways, you are right, that um, how can we possibly take care of others if we're not taking care of ourselves? And, and there's a lot in terms of self-care that really resonate with me, that there's a various um, little sayings, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup or the aeroplane model that you can't um, 
put a mask on others until you can breathe yourself and all these sorts of things. And that, that is, of course, true and correct. But when we think about the self, when we think about the individual and I, we are a result of every single relation that we have had in our lives so far. And in fact, we cannot just um, we cannot reduce that to just the time that I have been alive because I'm a result of all of my ancestors experiences. And we do know from psychologists that things like trauma are inherited throughout uh, generations. So where does I begin? Where does I finish? Because the, uh, there's an amazing, um, there's an amazingly acclaimed uh, Dr. Donna Haraway, and she considers herself a compostist. And she's actually a biologist, a scientist at heart, but a lot of our, her ideas have permeated into education. And Donna Haraway considers herself a compostist because of this idea of living and dying together. And that when we die, we go back into the ground and the worms and the bacteria then feed on us and, and, and take us off elsewhere. And so where does the eye actually finish? Um, and that's philosophical and I haven't worked that out yet. <laughs> um, so to come back to this, this framework that I really sketched out last year, I was reading a lot of these uh, climate change news articles and just seeing the people uh, struggling to survive in places like Madagascar and thinking, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, what can we do about this injustice in the world? And how might I use my role in education to help bring about change um, and support and care and love for other people? Uh, what can I do? And so I thought to myself, hmm, I'm not an environmental scientist, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a geographer, I'm a homeroom teacher at the moment. I don't actually feel I have enough subject knowledge to know about environmental issues or socialist issues. Um, wouldn't it be awesome if there was some sort of a, a tool or a way of thinking that teachers could use in their classrooms with their students that together we might use to help bring about change? And so I started scribbling on a piece of paper and I think I, I, I drew inspiration from the Samir model. And for if, if there are any educators listening, you may be familiar with the Samir model as a tool to help us think about how we're using technology. Technology in a way that is creative rather than about consumption. And so the Samir model, I found really useful as an educator because I would think, okay, we're gonna use our iPads and we're going to go out and film and photograph or record sounds or whatever. Is that actually good use of technology or are my students just doing the work of a worksheet or a textbook and I'm just revamping it in a funky way with an iPad and that there are you know, flashing lights and cartoon characters and things beeping, which is actually, what's uh, gaining their attention. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we had something like this for the environment that could just provoke thought? And so I wrote down some acronyms and I thought, oh, where might this begin or where might this end or how might this all be interlinked? How could this support teachers to help support their students? And so it started with W. I don't remember what the other letters were at this point, but I thought, what's the one thing that that everyone can do, everyone in the world, whether you're inside, outside, young, old, experienced or, or what, W is wonder. Let's express wonder for the natural world. 
And so and I think some people treat this as sort of pop psychology. Oh, let's go out and feel wonder at the natural world, you know. Um, but this is really about the feeling that we have. It's about the affective rather than the cognitive, rather than thinking, oh, how did that spider make that web? Even though that's a perfectly fine question, wonder is taking that one step back and going, wow, look at that beautiful glistening silver thread. It's huge. It's actually connecting the leaves in the bush and the tree, and it's so high. Whoa, that is beautiful. That reminds me of snowflakes or whatever. Um, so this sense of wonder for all things that are natural can help people to appreciate the beauty and the gifts of the natural world. And so I thought, okay, we can all do this. Even if you are a secondary school maths teacher, you can still be encouraging wonder for the natural world in your maths classes. Let's say we're watching um, a film clip of a volcano erupting. I can still sit with my students and go, wow, look at that. That, that is incredible. The, the power, the might, the heat, look at the, look at the steam or, or whatever. We can still express wonder even from inside a room. And then I thought, well, there comes a point where you've actually, if you're going to build a relationship with something, you actually have to be there and present and mindful and, and actually sort of touch it, handle it, smell it, <laughs> and all of that. And so this is where interaction comes in. Originally, the model, I did use the word interaction, but interaction suggests that we are solos, we're silos, and we're coming into the natural world, which of course is not true because we're already part of the natural world. We don't come in as a blank canvas onto a, a I don't know, a farm experience. And then, you know, we receive all of this communication from the farmyard animals. We come into this space as an equal member of this network. And around us, there might be sheep, there might be sounds, there might be smells of grass, there might be sounds from, I don't know, workers who are chopping up food, whatever. There's all of this sensory input around us and we are just one part of that. And so interaction is really about the relationships that we hold with others so that there is no I. It's all about the relationships with others. And that also includes objects. Um, we all know how certain objects in our homes might create a certain ambience, the way we lay out our furniture, where we hang a picture. Um, they all emit an affect, um, which there is no end, there is no beginning. They all interrelate, intrarelate, I should say. And so that's, that's like us when we go out into the natural world. We need to have a sensory experience, um, and that is what transforms us. And we can take our wonderings, our awe, our mystery, our enchantment with the natural world. And we can now start thinking perhaps more cognitively. How did that spider build that web? Why does that look like that? How did um, that bird construct the bird's nest or whatever? So we're moving from the feelings to the thinking, from the affect to the cognitive. And for me, that's really key because in a lot of sustainability models, we are asking our children to move immediately to the cognitive. Everyone, what are your solutions for the planet? I know, let's stop the plastics in the ocean. Let's reduce our food wastage. We go straight away for solutions thinking and we don't pause to think about the relationships 
uh, that very fundamental experience, the emotional connection, that sense of being in that space with those other bodies, uh, with the human and non-human species. So interaction is what helps to foster that empathy through the natural world because we are having first-hand experience, it's sensory, it's transformative. And so those are sort of like the first two flows it's, it's not about being incremental and you must be engaging in wonder before you move into the interaction flow. You can actually, as a teacher, as an educator, as a student, you can enter at any point. But these are just guides. These are ways to provoke thought. So moving through our wiser model, we then go into the S and the S stands for sustainability. And this is really about thinking about your behaviours and actions each day that then become embedded in terms of who you are you're thinking now you're behaving in a way that is sustaining and protecting life and this is when learning becomes embodied we are now in embodied states uh, whereas previously we were not so we're really thinking about our ethics now and our intentions behind our actions um, and if we are really uh, thinking about our connection with others and we're really thinking about we are equal, we want to reduce injustices, we want to help to protect and sustain life, then we have certain behaviors that just become part of who we are because we acknowledge that we're equal, we all have value, we all have meaning. And so the R in wiser is the flow of regeneration, regenerating life. And this is really thinking about the essence of every single entity and how it relates and how we can behave and think in ways that enhance vitality and really honor and respect the essence of, of everything in our world. Are we acting in a way that's life worthy? I, I think I read, I read actually today this, I'm not sure where this came from, but if someone asked you about your marriage and you said, oh yes, my marriage, it's going well, we are sustaining our love. <laughs> That doesn't sound very hopeful, you know, I'm not sure I would like a marriage where the love is sustained. But if we're thinking in more regenerative ways, we're thinking about really nurturing, cultivating, um, bringing new life to our uh, relations with others, relations, relations with place. And so for the, the educators out there, WISER is tended, intended to be a support, a provocation, an entry point at whatever part of this continuum that you are on it's not about being right or wrong it's not about um it's not about you're a terrible person because you engage in these behaviors or you wear leather or, or anything like that it's just about you playing your part in building those relations with others and in doing so that impacts you because you're honoring that you are part of this ecosystem and anything less than that could actually be considered self-harm um, Benjamin, is there anything you'd like to add to that? I don't think I need to, Charlotte. <laughs> you said it so 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 well and eloquently, and 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 I'll, I'll just really pick up very very briefly on on this idea of self harm. Is that it does become that when we start to understand that we are of the natural world, that we are connected to everyone else, and this isn't spiritual. I keep going back to this. It is it is just the way. The the, 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 the the even this this whole notion of relational becoming that there is no us that we become in every instant through our interactions with our surroundings which are infinite um and and that nothing exists separate from each other in in, in terms of, of boundaries then anything i do to hurt you or the earth is actually hurting me 
And so that's already a shift in morality. And again, this isn't new. It's not a shift. It's going back thousands and thousands of years, the indigenous wisdoms. There's nothing new here. There, there, no, and, and there's, you know, I, I, I'm just going to, uh, and, and I know Fabiana, we've been hogging the mic a little bit here, but I, I've been thinking about this idea of, of uh, the fuzzy horizon of learning and, and this idea that there are so many people who talk with expertise and conviction about so many things and they're eloquent, they talk and it just rolls off their tongue and they've got stump speeches effectively. Charlotte and I, you know, we're, this wiser framework is meant to be co-created with everyone, with the community, because we don't have the answers. And because we're at the fuzzy boundary of learning where we're figuring this out too. And Fabienne, I think differently than what I did when I was on your podcast a few months ago. We're figuring it out. And so it's not perfect. And we invite everyone beyond education to co-construct this and to, 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 to build this together because we will figure it out together. And I, and I, and very quickly, if we can all operate at this point where we're co-constructing because you don't have the answers, maybe we might not have the conflict of this expertise of, I know this and I must convince you. No, you know this, you must convince me where, where we clash. We're gonna sort it out together because we're figuring it out and we'll make mistakes and we'll be embarrassed about what we said, but that's okay, we're moving on. And this is what I love about the work I'm seeing, uh, I, you know, the, the reason I invited you. So, um, so much of what you said really resonated with, with me. One thing that came up as you were talking, Charlotte, in particular, and like watching your hand movement, um, there's a real dynamic movement, you know, sort of like the ever evolving, changing that came with what you were describing. So I wanted to share that what came up for me. And I know that the visual is very much this sort of uh, spiral um, dynamic, right, of, of change. Uh, so I, I wonder whether you want to talk to that and, and whether that, that there's any relevance to, to that point. Yeah, I, we really discussed for a whole year with Luca Perry about the design of this model because we wanted to really communicate a lot of our feeling, our responses in a way that's dynamic because there is no begins, beginning, there is no ending. And in fact, Deleuze, the French philosopher I was speaking about a while ago, um, as part of his uh, assemblage theory with um, uh, his counterpart, Guattari, which I think they wrote in 1987. It was outlined in a, a quite a heavy read called A Thousand Plateaus. Um, there is no beginning, there is no end. So where should we start? And he says, start in the middle. And so we wanted to somehow encapsulate the spirit of that, starting in the middle. There's an entry point for everyone. There is no kind of step up level, quantifiable part of this. It's about meeting, meeting yourself, meeting others at any point in that model. And so, oh, we started off with a Fibonacci swirl. And then we thought, oh, that might be confusing to people we then had some sort of like boxes and then we all thought oh no boxes suggest boundaries and that's really not what we're trying to communicate because we want to have this sense of flow and dynamic interplay 
And then the spiral um, actually only came into fruition quite recently with a talented designer who really understood the, the, the heart of what we were trying to communicate. And so for, for any of the listeners out there, the, the wiser model does have a little spiral and you can see that there is no sort of beginning and it, and it spirals off on the R, the regeneration off into the into the ether really it's it's as as far as as you would would like to take this in terms of your regenerative uh practices and so yes this model was was really tricky for us to conceptualize but it's fantastic Fabian to hear you say that because that makes us feel <laughs> validated that we were able to really communicate the dynamic the the state of flux that we are all in all the time um, the, the circular processes that we're all swirling and the, the ripples of all of our uh, experiences and engagements with others. So I'm so, so happy to hear that that is what you could see because that's what we're trying to speak to. Amazing. And that conveys the whole idea of the podcast is if you hold the space long enough without any judgment and you just really like share what comes up then I really felt that I just you know it with your hand movements and, and your sharing so thank you for, for for sharing in this way I have another question to what you both um said and in particular what you said Benjamin uh around this one of the things that I've noticed in my journey in education so um I cringe when I think of the idea of I was working inside trying to change the system from within on my own. So really, when I think about that, A, I laugh really a lot. And I, then I cringe. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. Anyway, um, it just leads. And, you know, this is about being humble and admitting where we were and, you know, that ever evolving individual. And one of the things that my journey seems to be pointing to a lot is what you alluded to, Benjamin, this whole collaboration, uh, cooperation, connection, all of those things, because I really feel that it's almost like there's so many innovative uh, things that are springing up, that, like interviewing people, shining the light on those, um, that it shows the, you know, how do we all come together to, to use like the model, you know, because a model is like any model is flawed, but some models are more useful than others, right? Um, and so it sounds to me like your, your uh, you know, the wiser model is, will be helpful, not just, you know, with my hat as an educator and a teacher, certainly, but actually as a parent, I'm thinking, wow, there's so much I can take in my own, like in the family and with, with other parents. So what do you envisage in terms of like the future for your, the, the evolution of the model and the, you know, the whole systemic and the bringing all, all of us together? Because obviously there's not, you know, it's, it, it isn't, there isn't an eye and, you know, and there is no beginning and no end. So how does that, what does that look like in terms of, you know, fit for you in terms of conceptual? No, no, that's that's a very good question, and I think I think we're we're, we're going to try to use the word even framework rather than model in the sense that models tend to be scaled and tends to be replicated, whereas the framework is more of an approach. And and if this could be a springboard to having people ask themselves questions, that would be a victory. So rather than being a, a roadmap, rather than being a formula, rather than being, it's it's asking ourselves questions. 
am I in a situation right now where I am promoting or, or engaging in behaviors that separate me from others, from nature? Or am I open with wonder, with awe to the experience that is in front of me? Not necessarily just to the other person, but to the everything that's around us, to the temperature, the light, the, the feel of, of the clothes. Because although those might sound very, very small, it's this openness that allows us to be, to, 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 to no, no longer label and to think about more context. And these words like sustainability and regeneration are just thrown around anyway. And we have to have both a shared understanding of what they are, but also a very personal understanding of what they are. And there's a real tension there. We have to think about how this can, this framework can be applied in, 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 in mindfulness. Maybe it's a mindfulness framework at the end of the day um, in, in different settings. But ultimately, knowing that there is no separation, like fundamentally knowing that can be happen anywhere. We start with the natural world, but it happens with all our relationships. Um, so that's what we're really hoping with this is to, is to push conversation, to give um, uh, educators, you know, mothers, fathers, whatever, different ways of, 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 of considering the world, of responding to the world. And I, I get trapped in my own language because I keep wanting to use the word thinking. I don't want to use the word thinking anymore because we think, we sense, we intuit, and we feel. It's an embodied experience. And even more, it's a social experience. It's a natural experience because we are connected. It's not just about me. Um, so anything that pushes that conversation along um, would be wonderful. And, and as you say, that's all we're trying to do is move it along and that we're continuously, continuously um, uh, shifting in our thinking because we are phenomena. We are not permanent entities. So let's embrace the fact that our, you know our ideas from uh, from from three months ago, three minutes ago were different. As you were saying earlier about uh, Heraclitus and, and the river, and I keep thinking about um, uh, you know I, I run and I keep thinking about this uh, this coach that said you know today's legs aren't yesterday's legs, and if we could apply that to our learning, fantastic. Okay. And I think our, our colleague Luca uh, said something quite insightful recently. He said, if we put something out and we're not embarrassed by it in a year's time, then we weren't thinking big enough in the first place. So, you know, there is a vulnerability in sharing work like this that is quite new. Um, and, you know, I have conversations with fellow educators and I can tell in these conversations that this is too much for some people, that they haven't encountered some of these ideas before. So it is about yeah, meeting people where they are. We're all on that continuum. I personally would absolutely love to hear from any educators or parents or anyone who works with uh, the natural world. I would love to hear your thoughts on this uh, framework. Maybe you've used it and applied it somehow in your personal or professional lives. I would love to have any feedback maybe from any of your listeners, Fabian. That would be wonderful. Um, because in terms of if we're really thinking regeneratively, then then let's let's all collaborate on this together and let's make it bigger and better and create a tribe and let's uh, really take on board this new worldview together. Um, so if anyone's out there, let us have some feedback. It would be really wonderful to hear from you. 
Amazing. And I'll put if you send me all the links you want me to put in the you know in the description of the of the podcast and anything, then please do. And I'll make sure that you know the listeners can have access to that because I think it's really important. Um, and there's two things that popped up before I ask you the, my two final questions. The first one is my favorite uh, proverb is comes from Papua New Guinea, and it says, anything is a rumor until it's in the muscles. And what came up again when you were talking with your about your model is it's very much you're moving people from that intellectual. My intellect, are you talking about thinking, Benjamin? I am such a thinker. And very often, and, and throughout my journey, I've had to shift myself away from my intellect and more into my heart. And so that's what I wanted to share. It's like again, your model to me it reminds reminds me of the of the journey that I've gone through it's like moving away from the head and more into the heart and then into the legs right in the actual sort of action taking that's one comment and uh, the other one that I wanted to to add is um, in terms of awe um, with my researcher hat in terms of well-being there is absolutely tons and tons of research that shows how awe uh, generates so much of our well-being um, and there's actually an article that I'll share with you that was it's phenomenal that is really describes how like gazing at the sky can help us reconnect and feel connected so I just wanted to, to share that with you yeah I'd love to read that by the end yeah see we're already co-creating we're co-building together we're, we're putting all these things together and 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 making this you know growing this this is exactly yeah. what we're Fabulous. And I've, I've loved it. And the, the final image is, you might have seen it on some of my LinkedIn posts. I've used the me and then the we. And, and the other image that came up is very vividly for me is this. It's like what you're doing is you're turning the M in me uh, on its head to turn it into a we. So I want to thank you for, for all the work you're doing because, you know, very vividly I, I experienced that and I really want to thank you. I just want to want to give you a quote um, from I think it's Malcolm X who said, um, if if you take if you change the I in illness to we, you go from illness to wellness. Beautiful. So two final questions, if I may. The first one relates to all the, the your research, you know, both of you and your work and all the reading is um, if the listeners are wondering, are really like they resonate with what you're doing and they're thinking, right, okay, where do I start? What's one book that you would recommend they read to put them on their way to, um, to explore further? I, what immediately comes to my mind is The Web of Meaning by Jeremy Lent. It's fabulous, fabulous book. And, and the first one that came to my mind was Web of Life by Pritchard Capra. <laughs> so, yeah. Amazing. Well, we'll put we'll put those two again. If you if you don't if you're okay, I'll just put those links and people can go and get those if they're interested. And then my final question to all my guests. So Benjamin, you know what's coming because you've been asked this question. Um, well, perhaps we'll start with Charlotte. Is um, at the end of this conversation, and it's, I hope it's not going to be the last conversation we've had because I've really enjoyed it, but from this conversation thus far, where we stand, 
Um, what's the one thing that you would want the listeners to take away or you know, the, something that we haven't discussed that you would want them to, to hear before we finish the podcast? Ooh, one thing. Um, well, I, I have briefly discussed it, so maybe I can just sort of amplify it here at the end. Um, question, 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 the power dynamics in your everyday life. Because once you start to think about anthropocentrism, how we are dominating other species, when you really start to expand your thinking and feeling and just being, you might be quite shocked at how you are engaging in practices that damage the earth and in doing so damage other species and damage yourself. Um, so maybe, yeah, question the power dynamics that are all around you. Amazing, thank you, Charlotte. And, and I'll, I'll just, something that's been on my mind is, is really moving away. And I know we talk about, oh, we shouldn't label people uh, and, and I get that really thinking about the whole story that's there that we will never ever know the whole story of any situation because the whole story is infinite it goes back 3.2 billion years to the big bang and so this means that there's always going to be an unknown it's not just the heisenberg um, um, uh, principle you know uncertainty principle or, or whatever there is always going to be unknowns and so that has to open our hearts to saying the story that I have in my head isn't the complete story. How else can I approach this? And I think that's something I've been trying to think about. And in a more practical term, let's all connect and keep talking and go through Fabienne and, and all the networks that you have and, and, and take all these things together. So two Amazing. And then, and then obviously connect to you as well so people can reach out to you and, and your amazing work. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast, both of you. I've loved every minute. Um, yeah, so I'm very, very grateful. Thank you, Fabian. Thank you so much, Fabian, and let's stay connected. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me with any comments or questions you may have. You can find me on Twitter at FlourishingHE or on LinkedIn at Fabienne Vells. Please also like this podcast as it's helping me promote it and don't hesitate to share widely with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.